0: the gold standard here on the 440 Sports Network your Nashville Predators podcast my name is Braden Gall you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall and me Adam Vingen at Adam Vingen there you have it you can follow us both there on the Twitters interact as well pay for good journalism go to the Athletics subscribe give them a few bucks it's not very expensive it will be worth every single penny and you will get great content from your reporter's around your favorite teams rate review and subscribe the show as well we we do appreciate that share it with all of your friends tell your buddies post it on message boards all that stuff adam tell everybody yes rate review and subscribe uh so you I, got it yes i'm a, i'm a i'm a growing <laughs> podcaster there, there you have it today on the show we are going to give you a phd a doctorate in john Hines, the nashville predators new coach because frankly Adam, this first season is really the season that we start evaluating John Hines. We will give you an analysis and a breakdown of everything that has taken place up until this point to get fans ready for the following season of Nashville Predators hockey. We're gonna disc- we're gonna dive into you know what Coach Hines' philosophy is, the differences between him and Peter Laviolette. What will the Predators' identity be? He's hired an entirely new coaching staff, mostly new coaching staff. So we'll just we'll, we'll give you guys some analysis on. Uh, the two new faces on the coaching staff will dive into the metrics from the regular season last year. What are the new What does the new roster look like as it pertains to this coach and how do they fit together? Uh, obviously, we'll we've got a, an interesting conversation about Barry Trotz, actually, at the end of the show, uh, of course. So I think that's everything, Adam. I think that that would offer people as far as coursework goes. I think that will give fans all of the information they need. I think that is a PhD, I think. It makes us sound smarter, at least, if I call it that, right? Yes,
1: it does make you sound smarter to call it a PhD than like a book
0: report. (laughs) Or a podcast. (laughs) Or a podcast. (laughs) Uh, Book reports. Man, I do not miss those. No,
1: I I don't miss book reports. I wasn't very good at them.
0: Really? Yeah. You're a writer, a reporter, a researcher. If you were
1: to ask... You're smart as hell. If you were to ask my... (laughs) If you were to ask my mother if she thought in high school that I would be a professional writer, she probably would have chuckled. <laughs> my writing definitely has gotten better over time, as I would hope so, but I was a late bloomer when it came to writing. My work in my journalism class in high school, uh, certainly,
0: <laughs> I certainly struggled. But you knew you wanted to do it from the beginning. So in high oh, school, yeah. you were journalism. Okay, so I, yeah. I fell into the media world like after college. No, I knew I wanted so. to be a journalist since I was in like middle school. Oh, good for you, yeah, man! Yeah, I mean, I I love it when people like know what they want and then they go do
1: it. It's so I yeah, I I knew from a young age before before I wanted to be a journalist. I
0: wanted to be a meteorologist. Um, so <laughs> it's all right. I wanted to be an architect and a lawyer. Yeah, uh, and I I was a big math science guy, and now I'm in the liberal arts creative content field. And my advice to people is don't don't go that route.
1: <laughs> well, when you you know to to promote some 440 sports synergy oh. on your most recent lamestream sports uh, podcast, you had Steve Lehman from News Channel Five, and you spoke about, and he addressed how difficult it is to get all of the sports news of the day into a three minute block. One thing I have learned. By being a consumer of local news, is that if you want to be on television, be a meteorologist, you are on all the time. If if there's a tw- interesting, I, that's right. I, I mean, we I, are
0: going to talk about hockey at some. Yes, point.
1: Yes, but like, if uh, if the six o'clock news or the five o'clock news, the half hour show before the national news comes on, with commercials, without without commercials, you probably have twenty one, twenty two minutes of actual content. I would say. 13 to 14 of that includes a meteorologist <laughs> of weather, some kind. Yeah. Every, every, every yeah. thing. It begins with the weather. It ends with the weather. So, yeah. kids, if you're looking, if you're listening to this because you want to be a sports journalist, I advise you to become a meteorologist instead
0: <laughs> if you're looking for airtime. I, I advise you to learn how to be an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, go, go, go learn HTML code and how to count. That's what I would do. Adam Vingan, not only a host, of the 440 Sports Network, but also a client. Yes. As well. A listener of the Lame Stream Podcast, of course, every Friday on the 440 Sports Network. All right. Well, do you want to talk some hockey? I would like to talk some let's hockey. Let's talk some hockey. Let's give everybody a complete understanding of who John Hines is, what his coaching staff is going to look like, what the identity of the team is going to look like. But first, let's give people a, a quick refresher on on John Hines. He, he finished 16-11-1. As the head coach of the Nashville Predators, they lost, of course, to Arizona 3-1 in the play-in tournament or return-to-play tournament. I I, can't, I get all the sports leagues confused. <laughs> um, the, the NHL is back tournament. I don't know. Uh, he was 150, 159, and 45 in four-plus years as the New Jersey Devils coach. He, of course, was fired in December prior to being hired January 7th by the Nashville Predators. He went to the playoffs one time. They lost in the first round, uh, I believe, four games to one. He's 2-7 and all-time in the postseason, including the series against Arizona. If you had to begin this conversation with a, a, a an explanation of what you believe John Hines' ethos is, his core coaching philosophy, do you have a way to describe that to people right now? Well, I
1: think this probably goes for all coaches at all levels, regardless of sport, but John Hines you know, the foundation of his coaching is in development. And and that was one of the reasons why the Predators were so quick to hire him. Um, He has an extensive resume. Um, When you look at professional coaching in terms of in a professional league, he's been coaching, he's been a head coach since 2010, um, starting with the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins of the American Hockey League, of course, the affiliate of the Pittsburgh Penguins before moving on to be the head coach of the New Jersey Devils in 2015, before being fired in December of 2019, and being hired by the Predators in January of 2020. So he was not out of work for very long, but he you know, he worked with the U- USA Hockey National Team Development Program. Um, so when you think about John Hines' strengths as a coach, it's his ability to develop players, and especially with the Predators' wanting to move towards a younger roster that certainly plays
0: to his strengths. So I think as you've said, development is sort of a part of everybody's responsibility as an NHL coach. And and I don't think there's vast differences between Peter Laviolette and John Hines. I, I think there are some bigger differences, frankly, in, in the way they communicate uh, with, with both players and with fans and with media. I think he's far more affable and open and willing to talk about his team and his roster you know strengths weaknesses just be more accessible Peter Laviolette was while he was a motivator and also a coach he also you know he was a little prickly at times and, and a he, little <laughs> again reportedly he he you know relaxed with age apparently I, I don't know but he, he's you know is very standoffish with the media you know one of those one of those paranoid schizophrenic coaches because I think all coaches are generally paranoid schizophrenics but but he was particularly. Uh, cut from that cloth so (laughs) on the ice do you have a an analysis of how different they were well one thing I want to mention regarding
1: personality Um, I did a story uh, before the postseason started about the relationship between Taylor Hall and, and John Hines because of course the Coyotes were playing the Predators in the qualifying round and also of course John Hines' relationship with Taylor Hall wasn't enough to have Taylor Hall come to Nashville as a free agent. I, that's not the end-all, be-all. I'm just being a sure. little bit facetious. Um, but uh, I, I spoke with Ray Shiro, the former Devils general manager, former Predators assistant general manager back in the day, uh, who wh- who was with the Devils, of course, when Taylor and John were there. And I remember Ray telling me that when you look at John Hines, he looks mean. You know, He does <laughs> he does look a bit mean. Like if I, you were, I agree with that. <laughs> but he's one of the nicest people. Yeah you can come across. And I remember I just found the story back in January. I did this back and forth with our New Jersey Devils reporter at the Athletic, Corey Massasak. And I asked Corey lots of questions about on ice, off ice. And one of the questions I asked him was, what are Heinz's strengths and weaknesses as a coach, as a tactician and communicator? And this was his answer. I thought it was quite good. Corey wrote, quote, nearly every player on the Devils remains a staunch defender of Hines as a coach and specifically as a communicator. He's demanding and isn't afraid to chew out his team during an intermission, but one of his former players said Hines is the best coach he's ever had at being able to leave the hockey aside and treat all of his players with respect away from the ice. Communication and preparation are his biggest strengths as a coach. The tactics were questioned in New Jersey, but a more talented and mature team might be the elixir for that.
0: All right follow up do the Predators as they are currently constructed with the new roster fall into that category they They certainly they certainly have some more high end. they are a more
1: mature team than the Devils When, when John Hines was hired by the Devils because look when you look at John Hines's coaching record with the New Jersey Devils he only made the playoffs one time in his four full seasons and they lost in the first round I believe it was in five games to the Tampa Bay Lightning so when the Predators hired John there was certainly some question from a section of the fan base. Like, why would they hire a coach who doesn't have a proven record in the NHL? You have to take into consideration the fact that John Hines was hired similarly to how Barry Trotz was hired in Nashville 20 years ago. John's responsibility was to establish a culture in New Jersey that of course we know the New Jersey Devils we think of their Stanley Cup winning days in the early 2000s with a very veteran heavy roster Martin Brodeur, Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, Patrick Elias, Jason Arnott, etc.
0: No wonder they won some cups.
1: Yes, they were quite good. Um, but the Devils had, you know, fallen back into the one of, you know, into the basement of the NHL. So it was John's responsibility to rebuild rebuild that culture. And I do think that, in a way, the Predators absolutely needed the same thing um, when they fired Peter Laviolette and hired John Hines. I do think they needed a a sort of a culture refresh, Um, and I think that's something that John has endeavored to do since he was hired in January. Um, This goes back to uh, my colleague Corey Massasak. Quote, when Devils general manager Ray Shiro and Hines arrived in New Jersey in the summer of 2015— The franchise was due for a full-scale rebuild after it tried to contend past its window. There wasn't much to trade to help the process along, and the Devils had the worst collection of prospects in the NHL. The first two years were supposed to be bad. If anything, Hines coached the Devils to too many wins in (laughs) 2015-16, but they were bad as expected the following year and ended up with the number one pick. In Hines' third year, the Devils made the playoffs ahead of schedule. Last year, being 18-19, was a mess, in part because of a slew of injuries. Another issue was the goaltending, which spilled into this year. Shiro hired Heinz to help develop a young team and establish a culture where the Devils rebuilt the talent base. Even at the end of last season, the Devils competed hard, despite essentially dressing an AHL roster some nights. This year, 1920, the problem started with the goaltending and mushroom from there. Expectations were higher because, of course, they, they had Jack Hughes. They right. they traded for P.K. Subban. And the Devils blew a bunch of leads and lost a bunch of games they could have or should have won in the first month. They found different and inventive ways to lose, and Hines <laughs> wasn't able to shake the team of its collective malaise that developed as a
0: result. So, on the, on the ice— Yes, on the ice. Can we—is there a—, a... A quick explanation, because again, you can we can go back and look at all the metrics. In fact, I think all of your you've got an article. I think for every single one of these offense, defense, special teams on the athletic, you have yes. to go back a ways to you find have to go it. Go back to March to find it. <laughs> but there is, if you want to dive deep into the analytics and the stats on goals against, uh, expected goals against, you know, offensive, defensive statistics and metrics and special teams as well. Uh, there's a lot there to compare both Peter Laviolette's team with with John Heinz team in in, the, in within the season last year, because they were the same players in theory. I, first of all, how much does that matter to you? How much do those metrics matter to you? How much does the short sample size of John Heinz with someone else's player matter to you? How much should fans frankly take his record at, with the national predators, which was better than Peter Laviolette's record. And in large part due to goaltending, frankly. Yes. How do you How do you think fans should evaluate those those it, numbers?
1: It is difficult because if you want to look at those metrics in the story that I'm referencing, if you're listening to this, of course, when you look at those numbers, especially when you look at the offensive numbers, they're, they are much more favorable to Peter Laviolette than to John Hines. But I do not think that is a symptom of John Hines being less adept at coaching offense. I think... Peter LaViolette, I think under the Predator—under Peter LaViolette, excuse me—the Predators in the beginning of the season were were overplaying their their expectations, if that's not the greatest way to phrase it. But, but they, they, were, they were scoring boatloads of goals. They were scoring a lot yeah. of goals. They Maybe shouldn't a, have been. They had a very high shooting percentage. You know, they were done—they were done in by poor goaltending, which was among the worst in the league at the time that Peter was fired in January— but they were scoring, I mean, you think of the, the games early in the season, you think of the game against the Capitals at home, you think about the game against Detroit in Detroit where I think they scored seven or eight goals, um, you think of the game in New York against the Islanders before Christmas where they won 8-2 to two or 8-3 to three or whatever it was, they were scoring a lot of goals. But I don't I you know, but I think it was, you know, they were exceeding their expectations in terms of what the percentages said they should be doing. You know, one of the major, more visible differences in in the coaching styles is on defense. Um, in in a John Hines system, they play a layered, more zone-like, if we want to use the basketball terminology, a more zone-like defense in the defensive zone versus Peter Laviolette, who played a man to man style. In the defensive zone, and I think the benefit of the more zone-like scheme that John Hines uses is that if there is a breakdown, um, there is somebody there to cover that person's ass.
0: How many teams in the NHL played Peter LaViolette's style system? On I, I
1: cannot tell you that right now just because I can't say I studied the in- intricacies of okay. 30 it, other systems. But is
0: it like one or two, or is it like 28? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's like one or two.
1: I would be curious to find that out. I can't give you a definitive answer, but there,
0: there were plenty of people inside the building that did not fully understand why that was Peter Laviolette's strategy.
1: It's it's Is that fair to say? I,
0: I would I would think so.
1: And as I said, the you know John Hines put I mean all coaches do put a significant emphasis on protecting the high danger areas in the defensive zone, and I think the way that John. Um, utilizes his scheme in the defensive zone, allows for that more than Peter did. Um, If there was a breakdown under Peter Laviolette, more often than not, the the attacking team had a wide open lane. It was on the goaltender. Um, With with John, if there's a breakdown, there's somebody, you know, like I said, think of it as a basketball player, as a basketball team using a 2-3 zone. You know, there's somebody in the paint waiting for that breakdown just in case. Um, So um you know when you look at the numbers um you know the defense the 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 predator's ability to protect the slot again wasn't great under John Hines i chalked that up more to learning on the fly um but goaltending was excellent mostly uc soros um which made up for that um but when you want to like he, this this might this might rub predators fans the wrong way but we all, I mean, we all sort of rolled our eyes at how optimistic the Predators sounded after they lost to Arizona. But they were not lying when they said they played better than Arizona.
0: Oh, I, I think there's a lot of different ways to analyze hockey. Yes. You can do it old school with the eye test. You can do it new school with the fancy sabermetrics. The eye test told you that the Predators were the better team against Arizona. Yes. And I think that's okay to say. It's not as good to say it when you're the $6 million defenseman right after losing. You know, Ryan Ellis' comments don't necessarily land on Preds fans. But It
1: was not the right, as I've said before, it was not the right time to say that.
0: But he's not wrong when you watch the games. No, he's not. And you go, the Predators looked like the better team. The better team doesn't always win.
1: And and when you look at some of the more advanced analytics, when you look at possession time, when you look at— the quality of shots, the Predators had the advantage over the Coyotes. But, of course, you need to finish on those chances, which is another problem entirely. A team's finishing ability isn't necessarily on the coach. It's on the players. Um, That's fair. When you look at, for example, the following round, when the Coyotes were bludgeoned by the Colorado Avalanche, the Avalanche were able to get to those high-scoring areas, and they were able to they beat the Brakes, off the Coyotes. I think they scored seven goals in each of the last two games of the series, but they have Nathan McKinnon and Gabriel Landeskog and Nazem Kadri and players who can actually finish. The problem with the Predators in that series is I think it demonstrated that they have a lack of scoring talent up front. Um, and I don't think that is a symptom or a. Um, I don't think that is a. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A knock on John Hines. I think that's a more a knock on the roster because the Predators were doing the things that John Hines wanted them to do. One wanted, wanted them to do, but they weren't completing yeah. the things that he wanted yeah. them to do. I mean, and that's some, not on him necessarily. At,
0: at, at some point, the guy who makes more money and has the puck on his stick it has to have some responsibility. Exactly. Like that. That's eventually. You know, it's the same thing in the NFL. It's the same thing in the NBA. Like you can, you can only blame the coach so so much <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> until the so, players are in the right positions and cannot execute. At some point. You know, sure, you can teach execution, right? You can practice execution. You can coach execution. But at some point, the player ha- that makes $8 million a year or whatever, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson, whoever, they, they have to actually deliver. And right. So- the process was there, and you heard that a lot throughout the course of the series, that
1: John Hines was pleased with what the Predators were doing on the ice in terms of demonstrating his vision. Um, but again, it went to the fact that they couldn't score, and again, that's not that's not on that's not on John. John was doing the John was helping the Predators get to the points where they needed to do something, right. and they weren't doing right. it. And yes, that some that falls on the coach somewhat,
0: right? But not entirely. So let, let's look at the because obviously the roster has changed dramatically since John Hines was hired, since that Arizona series, since the the lockdown, all these things, all these these steps that have felt like a hundred years worth of time that has gone by. The roster has now changed significantly. The coaching staff has now changed significantly. We'll get to the coaching staff in in just a second. I am so grateful that the NHL team in this town has decided to hire a full complement of coaches. I do not understand that. I'll ask you about that in, in just a few minutes. But my question is, with your knowledge of the new roster, your knowledge of the new coaching staff, we'll get into a little bit more of that in just a second. What should the identity be of the Nashville Predators? Because the Predators way is a big phrase. We did a whole podcast on it. It's a, there's a street named after it. You know, like David Poyles talked about it, all this stuff. In your opinion, what should the identity with all the new pieces be for the Nashville Predators?
1: As, as simple as it is to say and as cliche as it is to say when you're talking about hockey— the predators want to be tougher to play against harder to play against now what does that mean exactly that kind of goes back to that podcast we did about what the predators way means exactly and when you look at the players the predators brought in this offseason matt benning mark borwiecki luke cunning nick cousins brad richardson they all have an edge to their game they're all physical players in some form or fashion Now, being hard to play against doesn't mean just throwing out a bunch of grinders onto the ice with no offensive talent. Like, don't think the Predators are going to revert back to the teams in the late 90s and early 2000s. Being hard to play against also means having talent and having offensive talent. But it means... like, But it means... I'm trying to think
0: of the best way it, to say you know, it. You, just, you, ha- you can't be all finesse and you can't be all grit. You have to right. be a nice combination of the two. Right. And I
1: think the Predators over the past few years have moved a little bit too far towards the finesse yeah.
0: angle. I think that's – I mean, we've talked
1: about that. Yes. Haven't? So I think this – they're sort of doing a course correction, I feel like, where they're trying to move the needle a little bit back towards the middle. But it was not a coincidence that all of the players the Predators have acquired this offseason, whether via free agency or trade, in the case of Luke Cunningham, are players that have a bit of edge to their game. And, you know, I, I look at a player like Nick Cousins, and we talked about this uh, previously, you know, both the best and worst trash talker in the league, or <laughs> one of the best and worst trash talkers in the league. And, I can't and, wait for that story, by right, the way. And a dude. player who is not afraid to get his hands dirty, but... Nick Cousins is not devoid of offensive ability. The guy can score. I mean, it might be 10 or 15 goals, but that's not nothing. That's still more goals right. than Kyle Turris had last season. Oh, God. So he had only nine. I think I just had some convulsions. Yes. So, you know, the Predator, are the Predators less talented today on paper than they were when the season ended? Yes. They are less talented. Craig Smith and Mikhail Granlund, Nick Bonino, Kyle Turris – are naturally more talented than all of the players that I just mentioned were acquired this offseason. And
0: only one of them of that group, although maybe Craig Smith falls into this category, when we talk about the blend yes. of the the toughness, the energy, the passion, whatever, the grit, whatever word you want to use, I know grit's the hockey thing, and and the finesse and the skill and the talent, Benino and Smith are the two on that list that had a little bit of both. Smith to me is like... Nick Benino for
1: sure. Yes, when you look at Craig Smith, this is sort of an aside sidebar when you, when you look at Craig Smith, I feel like he is the player of course, no longer with the team, but he is the player who I think epitomizes the the predator, like the good, the good and bad of the predators. (laughs) And what I mean by that is Craig Smith works his ass off. You never have to worry about Craig Smith's work ethic. And he does, he has the ability to play a, a offensive game. Of course, he's a regular 20 goal scorer, but the guy can't finish like, they, not, not in the playoffs. Not, not in the playoffs. I mean, Craig Smith finishes enough to get to twenty plus goals. But if Craig Smith had more finishing ability, he could have easily been a thirty goal scorer, which yeah. he's never been before. So I feel like Craig Smith sort of epitomizes, you know, the good and bad of the Predators as a whole in terms of their identity. Um, but now, of course, he's not here anymore. And sidebar, but the but I think <laughs> but I, but I, you know when I the, John Hines wants this team wants teams that play against the Predators. Not to look forward to playing against the Predators because they're gonna they're going right. to they're going to be tough. You want to be like, ah, oh, damn it! You look at them at the
0: schedule and you go, Oh shit, we're going to Nashville. Right,
1: like the Predators teams of the last couple years, but specifically this past season, they didn't strike fear into the heart of other teams like that. And I think that is what John Hines wants. He wants a team that will have that more physical identity. Without sacrificing the skill, even though they have fewer skilled players on their roster, but I think that I think what yeah. you saw this off season was David Poyle, David Poyle equipping John Hines with the type of player that John Hines feels he needs to have his vision on the
0: ice. So it sounds like there there's a clear mesh of. New roster, new pieces, new identity, new philosophy, new talent Mm -hmm. with the sort of, you know, the identity and philosophy and style of, of the head coach in John Hines. So that I would assume that's what happened. I would assume that's what any smart general manager would do. I'm assuming that's what every organization in all of sports should do is to take their coach and his philosophies in the roster and try to marry them together to create efficiency and success. I think that's sort of the, the point of the job.
1: I mean, you even look at a player like Taylor Hall, for example. I mean, of course, Taylor Hall did not sign with the Predators. He signed with the Buffalo Sabres. But Taylor Hall, you could probably call him a tough player to play against. I mean, he does score. He's very, he's fast, but he's, he's not, a, he doesn't shy away from the physicality. He's not a pushover. He's, not a, push he's yeah. not a pushover. I mean, I, I look at, I'm trying to like. Well, uh, let's,
0: let's just keep with the Predators because right. I would say, again, Taurus and Grandlin epitomize the problem to me. And it's not because they don't have skill. Turris specifically. Like, Turris would just get tossed around. Yes. And, I would ju- and he wouldn't show... And again, I'm not trying to rip on Kyle Turris here because I don't think all of the Predators' problems are one guy. And, and I know we've traced a lot of the problems back to that trade. But, like, you know, Turris... And I've been around him enough. Like, it, it, su- it sucks because you, if you know Kyle Turris, the guy... Yeah, he's, he's such a, a phenomenal he's human such being. He's such a good dude. And, he, you know, he, he's got all the, the kids and everything. Like, he's such a good guy. and But he's such a soft-spoken guy. And right. I think you unfortunately you see that when he was trying to go into the crease, when you're trying to go into the high danger areas, you just saw the soft spoken guy. You didn't see Right. You didn't see the the other side of the the game where you gotta be willing to just suck it up and, and, and do the dirty work and I know that's a, a hockey cliche, but he just never did. Right. And, no, and I think Kyle
1: epitomizes th- I think Kyle epitomizes that. If we were talking about Craig Smith before, I think Kyle Turris, the the Predators want to move away from players like Kyle right. Turris in the sense that, you know, Kyle like Kyle is more skilled than Nick Cousins, but I don't think you have to worry about Nick Cousins not yeah. getting into the crease, which Ex- Kyle was not as apt to doing.
0: Exactly. All right. So let's let's take a look at the coaching staff. They've got a new staff, and. Dan Lambert is retained, of course, yes. brought on to fix the power play. Uh, what results year, may vary. Two 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 years ago, last summer, or the summer of 2019. Summer of 2019. God, time is a flat circle. <laughs> yes. Uh, they they acquire they they bring on Dan Highnote and they yes. bring on Todd Richards, so yes. they have a full complement. They use three. Before we get into the actual names themselves, can you explain to me why any NHL team would not hire the allotted amount of coaches? This is not something that happens in the NFL. College football staffs are capped and our coaches are constantly fighting to bring in all these interns and graduate assistants, like to have as many hands on deck as possible. Peter Laviolette only had two coaches for for many years. Why would any organization in the NHL not have all of the spots filled?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. To win
0: games. I don't understand that. I mean, some
1: teams even have more. I mean, you look at the bench and there are, you know, three or four coaches, the head coach and the, you know, two or three assistant coaches, but sometimes... There are coaches who act sort of as the eye in the sky. You know, think of it as the offensive coordinator, or the defensive coordinator, watching the game from the press box. They, I mean, some teams have coaches who coach from from the stands, you know, spe- you know, right. versus on the bench. Um, but um, certainly, you should take advantage of the spots that you are allotted.
0: I, um, it's not I, like the I National know. Predators are hurting for money. Like,
1: no, I don't know how. I would be curious about the breakdown of you know how many coaches are on the bench in each NHL city but yes with the recent hiring of with of Ty Richards you know the predators will have three assistant coaches on their bench next season with Dan Lambert Dan Hinote, and Richards. So
0: Richards has some experience of course with the organization uh, with Milwaukee. He's also got a lot of NHL experience, played in the league for a bunch. So let's break down both Coach Highnote and Coach Richards, what they're getting. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend to to be able, this is your job, Adam. (laughs) I'm not going to sit here and be able to pretend to tell you guys what these individuals bring to the table specifically and how they mirror with John Hines. We know a little bit more about Lambert because he's been here and what what his role is. So let's introduce everybody to to Todd Richards and Dan out. how about?
1: Well, I have I like the idea, and Todd Richards spent the last four seasons, I believe, as an assistant coach with the Tampa Bay Lightning, of course, just won the Stanley Cup. He he has been a head coach twice um, with the Minnesota Wild, about a decade ago, and then with the Columbus Blue Jackets within the past 10 years. Um, so I think he, he has around 400-ish games of NHL head coaching experience. And I've always liked the idea of having a former head coach on a staff with a younger head coach. I mean, John Hines is experienced, but John Hines is also one of the younger by age head coaches in the NHL. Um, you know, For example, I thought one idea that would have been interesting, I'm not sure if the Predators ever pursued this, but when I wrote a story a couple months ago about possible assistant coaches, Jim Montgomery, who of course was fired unceremoniously, by the Dallas Stars during the season. Um, ended up on the staff of the St. Louis Blues, but a a, a coach with, with recent head coaching experience. I think that's always good to have that voice, that extra voice with experience um, on the bench. So Todd Richards fills that void. Um, he coached the defense with the Tampa Bay Lightning. I believe he had his hands in both the power play and penalty kill. Um, I Which believe- was,
0: a, a, they put on a clinic in the Stanley Cup final. The power, the, the, the lightning play power play
1: is... The lightning power play is excellent, and as you said, the uh, the defense uh, core um, in Tampa uh, did a
0: really great job. So, so, if you're if you're looking for similarities, yes, you, you know you're going all right. You the Predators have a pretty nice. You're going from defensive- Victor Hedman to right. Roman Yossi. You're not right exactly. Yeah. You're you're working with the same ingredient, the same natural organic. Uh, vegetables and, and and produce you're still working with all the the best ingredients right. and and that's that is where uh, there could be a fit quickly before you move on I know you have got more to add here but he was 204 176 and 37 at uh, excuse me that's his total record 24 176 and 37 so 54 percent of the games is is what he won as a head coach and as you mentioned 417 games
1: so uh, I you know I think you know he I imagine he'll coach the defense in in Nashville um, and could consult on either the pe- or play or the penalty kill. Um, but my understanding is, uh, according to my colleague in Tampa, Joe Smith, that um, Todd Richards was actually still under contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, but had expressed interest in pursuing other opportunities. Um, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning general manager, Julian Brisebois, told Todd Richards that if you can find a job, you know, we will release you from your contract. Um, I think Todd Richards just felt that he needed a new challenge. Um, Interesting to go from assistant to
0: assistant, right? It is a, a lateral Cup championship. move.
1: It is a lateral move, and it is a downgrade was, in terms of you right. know, going from a Stanley Cup champion to a team that lost in the qualifying
0: round. But part of the allure of coming here, if you're a coach that that is focused on the defense, is the talent. Yes. Um.
1: So that's sort of the 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 crash course on, on Todd Richards. Uh, Dan Hynes was hired much earlier. Um, a, a former player, um, began his NHL career uh, with the Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche teams of the early 2000s, the Joe Sackicks, Peter Forsbergs, Patrick Woz, Et etc. Um, won the Stanley Cup as a young player, uh, went on to play for the St. Louis Blues, um, and uh, was recently coaching um, in the U.S. Hockey National Team Development Program. Um, As David Poyle has said, you know, one of their goals this offseason when hiring a new one, hiring a new coaching staff is they wanted a former player who had recently with recent playing experience. Um, Dan Hynote, you know, fits that bill. And we were talking about, you know, the Predators wanting to be harder to play against. Dan Hynote was that kind of player when he was in the NHL. Um, So he can speak to what that takes. Uh, So I think it's good to have that voice on the bench. Now, one thing that's interesting, and it's probably a complete coincidence. um, It definitely is a complete coincidence, I'm sure. Um, Dan Hino and Todd Richards were on the staff together with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think they were both assistants at the same time, or maybe Hino may have coached when when Richards was the head coach. Um, I'm not sure. But they definitely were on the staff together with the Columbus Blue Jackets several years ago, both of them have experienced coaching Ryan Johansson. Is that a coincidence? Probably. It, ha- it has to be. You but can't go not, hire your entire staff right. about one player. Uh, exactly. It's it's definitely a coincidence, but it does not hurt yeah. to have two more coaches on your bench who have experience coaching
0: your most important player, arguably. Let, let me ask you a question about guys that played in the league but weren't stars, let's say. My question isn't necessarily about how many games they played or how good they were in the NHL. It's It's that they weren't... You look at football coaches and baseball coaches. Generally, baseball coaches are like great catchers. <laughs> you know, catchers end up as really good baseball managers. Right. I don't think that stars in either the NBA or the NFL end up being good coaches. In the NHL, it's the same way. I mean, isn't it the grinder, the guy that that does things because he's coached so well that becomes the good coach? Isn't that a, a positive quality for both of these guys in in, in theory? Wayne Gretzky, you know, the greatest hockey player
1: of all time, was a terrible coach. You know, when I was in Washington, Adam Oates, one of the Hall of Famer, one of the greatest centers in the history of the NHL, not a good coach. You know, typically players who either don't make the NHL or make the NHL for a short period of time make really good head coaches. I mean, Peter Laviolette, I'm not sure ever played in the NHL, or if he did, he played very, very briefly, like had a couple games, but was mostly a minor league journeyman. And look how he's turned out.
0: Um, you 15 know, 15 points was high notes, career high, his second year in the league. in 0- 01. Yeah. I mean, I don't think John Hines ever made the NHL, um, you know, like
1: Bruce Boudreaux, another minor league journeyman type, you know, great hockey coach, you know, typically those players who had to scratch and claw to use the terrible sports cliche to become a professional player are the ones that tend to do the best. And I, I mean, I think it's the same. In other sports too. Yeah, I agree. I
0: mean, I, you know, Magic Johnson was not a good basketball player. Yeah, was not a. I always say, and again, I would put Peyton Manning into this group, I would put any of these elite players, Gretzky. I don't think Michael Jordan would be a good coach. It's because either. Michael Jordan would go up to his player and be like, "Why don't you just do this?" Exactly the way I did it, and and everyone else has to be like, "Because we can't do that." If you're Mike. if you're if you were a member of the Phoenix Coyotes
1: when Wayne Gretzky was your head coach, right? He's like, like, "Just do this." Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> my nickname
0: wasn't the great one. Like, it's <laughs> right. not.
1: I I can't. Ma- I can't Magic, do that.
0: Magic's like, why don't you bring the ball up the floor at full speed and then post up the center? Right, and you're like, dude, I'm six three. I'm not six nine like you, buddy. Like, right. I'm not one of the greatest point centers of all time. But I do
1: think an important point about Dan Highnote, as I mentioned previously, is that he, as a player, was the kind of player that the Predators want more of. Right. So he can yeah. speak to that.
0: So let me let me sort of repackage all of this conversation about the coaching staff into a couple of bullet points and see if you agree. Okay. So it feels like they've acquired some veteran coaching presence in Ty Richards, yeah, in Richards because he's got a lot of experience. That they've got guys who are have, have experience on the defensive end of the ice in terms of you know really good defensive teams and, yes. and know how to handle that talent that the Predators have. Yes, some special teams mixed in there as well. It seems like all these guys sort of have some some hands and some special teams, but that they also are were guys that had to find the reason they got to the league into the NHL was probably more based on execution, technique, fundamentals, work ethic than it would have been pure raw talent. I agree. So is that a good caps encapsulation of what the coaching staff is yes, making, how it is I, now constructed. Yes. I think that's a, a good a, a good summary. Okay. There you have it. Anything else you'd like to add on the coaching staff front?
1: I, I like I, I mean I like the mix. I think it, it's you know I, I think it's a good mix of as we said you know, NHL experience, NHL coaching experience, development experience, um, developmental experience, coaching-wise. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a really—I just think it's a good mix. I, I, I feel much more confident about the coaching staff now than I did at the end of last season. Okay. Um, you know, with respect to Dan Muse and, and Rob Scuderi, who came in, in on an interim basis. Uh, but I think that now you have—John Hines has his staff. Um, which is always important. We know in sports how important it is for a coach to have his own guys on his staff, and now he does. Um, so I, I think this, I, I, I if I were a Predators fan, I would feel more confident about John Hines as a coach now based on the people that he's decided to hire
0: around him. That, that's a pretty strong take right there. So there you have it. There's, a, there's some good optimism there, and we'll leave the John Hines PhD doctorate Classwork there on a high note. No, nope, pun, intended. no pun intended. We'll leave it there. Uh, all right, real quickly here before we wrap up our PhD on John Hines, I want to do. Gl- I want. I want to glance back at, at Lavi real fast. 200, 248 wins, one hundred and forty-three losses, sixty uh, overtime losses. There, Trotzzi five hundred and five, five hundred and fifty-seven wins, four hundred and seventy-nine losses, and of course a Stanley Cup with the Capitals in his fourth season there after being removed. Um, I know you've got a really interesting piece up on The Athletic right now that you can go back and read. It's, it's basically along the lines of what would have happened if if Barry Trotz would have stayed as the head coach and they maybe didn't make that move. Um, they did have a winning record in Barry Trotz's last season as the Nashville Predators head coach. The strike-shortened year was the year before that. They missed the playoffs two years in a row. You know, I think you could make the case that it was a little quick. Um, let me float a theory to you, Adam, and see what you think about this. This is my theory on if Barry Trotz was still the head coach today. I think they would be in a, the national predators would be in a better position to win today. If Barry Trotz was the coach today, but I don't think they would have gone to the Stanley cup final in 2017.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that's fair. And look in that article I referenced, you know, I made sure to mention that when the time came in 2014, uh, when David Poyle announced that Barry Trotz would not be returning as coach, it was met with minimal pushback. Nobody thought it was a bad decision. Right. I mean, I think even the parties involved thought it was the right decision. Um, but as you've seen Barry go on to other places, Washington and New York, you saw him win a Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals. The New York Islanders reached the Eastern Conference Final. Um You saw how he was able to uh, get the most offensively and and most offensively out of Alex Ovechkin. Um, You saw he was able to develop young scoring forwards like Evgeny Kuznetsov. Um, A lot of the things that were knocks against Barry Trotz as coach of the Predators, he, I think, has proven that those are not uh, significant uh, issues. Um, now, some of it has to do with the fact that he was he was given a roster in Washington that was more talented than anything he ever had in Nashville, so that helps. Um, but, but those
0: rosters have been more talented in Nashville ever since he left. Yeah, because David Poyle changed his approach.
1: But and the one thing I wanted to talk to people about, and I, and I talked to multiple people for this story, you know, first of all, we cannot say with, you know, we cannot say definitively if. David Poyle would have made the same moves if Barry Trotz was a state coach. You know, would he have yeah, traded right, yeah, Patrick yeah. Hornquist for James Neal? Would he have traded Seth right. Jones for Ryan Johansson? Would he have traded Shea Weber for P.K. Subban? We
0: don't know. Anti-Predator way moves.
1: Right. right. But we have, we have seen over the past six years that when given a roster like the one the Predators have, Barry can get the most of them, most out of them. Now, I agree with the sentiment that I got from many readers that Barry had to go somewhere else to learn how to do that. But I think if given the opportunity to do that in Nashville, he would have been able to do it too. Like if David Poyer would have made the same – if David Poyer would have said to Barry Trots, we've got to become more offensive. You're going to have to change the way you coach. We're going to change the players that are coming in here. We need you to figure it out. I think he would have. But I agree with the idea that he needed to go somewhere else to figure it out as well. But I think – but but I cannot say that he would not have been able to do it if given the chance,
0: relitigating history is fun. Adam. Yes. We get to just totally make stuff up again. Difficult. Again, I, I think that this team would, I, again, I think this team would be better positioned to, to compete this year, 2020, 2021 with Barry Trotz as the head coach but I don't know if we ever got the highs of the Peter Laviolette era. I I don't know if we ever would have gotten to those levels of, of like that, that Stanley cup run. I think maybe it's just Peter Laviolette has proven. He can get to the Stanley cup final three times, three different teams. So I don't know if Barry Trotz would have delivered that, but I do think they'd be better off today. So again, that's not, I'm not saying they shouldn't have made the move. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not going back to relitigate history on this one. So Adam, any, any final thoughts here? I do have a question about your uh, significant other, if that's okay. Sure. I don't have any further coaching thoughts. Okay. So, so, so you can share with me. So, so your question. I do not have a, a spouse who enjoys the socials. My spouse does not, she, she, it takes her 35 minutes to edit an Instagram post. I'm not even kidding. Hmm. It's bad. So she's not one that likes to to be out there like that. Now you are not married to someone like that. You are marri- <laughs> you are married to someone who enjoys mixing it up on the socials. I, I respect that. She posts a, a tattoo that she got recently. Yes. That was earlier this week. Earlier this week. Not a small tattoo. I think it was on Monday. Not a small tattoo. On the forearm. On her, her like, forearm. Fo- on her forearm. And she and you posted it yes. both on Instagram and Twitter. At her behest. At her behest. <laughs> With, uh, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically like, man, when, you, when, you know, when your I wife's said, willing I, to get a tattoo that calls back to your dating profile, yes. she's a keeper. Yes, basically. So, number one, go to Adam's Twitter account. Go check out the picture. Yeah, So you can understand what we're referencing here, which is a, a rose, I believe. It is a rose. And what do the words say on top? My rose-colored boy. My rose-colored boy. All right, which is a reference to you, obviously. Yes, that and, is me. And, a, and apparently a reference to your dating profile? Yes.
1: So my wife and I met on Bumble and for those of you listening who aren't familiar with the millions of dating apps there are <laughs> you know bumble you know i i haven't been on a dating app since we met so i don't know how it's changed but at the time <laughs> bumble is like tinder in the sense i think all dating apps are the same on your phone where you yeah. see a per- person's picture and you either slide right or slide left or you know whatever Approved, decline whatever. right 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 the 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 it's the secret, been a long time for me in the dating it, it's world it's been a long time so we met on Bumble in the summer of 2017, and I I never liked filling out an online dating profile. It's <laughs> I mean there are people whose job it, like I don't know if, you know if, if any of our listeners there's a
0: profession out there that I guess that makes sense. I'm well, not I like
1: I will like we've talked about this in terms of my my news my television news news consumption in the background in the mornings I will often have on one of the national news programs, either the Today Show or Good Morning America. I'm not usually sitting down and watching it, but right. it's on its background noise. Right. And a lot of times those type those type of shows will have like dating you know dating coaches or dating professionals of course and they'll talk about here's how to fill out a right, great right. dating profile
0: I guess I'm not surprised that that's an entire industry no you know? there are people yeah, whose job it sense.
1: is to 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 coach people about how to date which you know good for them I'm not like <laughs> well what's funny is <laughs> sidebar we were talking earlier about coaches who are really skilled like if you are a dating coach and you yourself are dating like how can you enjoy that experience because you're so immersed in the world of Ooh, dating?
0: Interesting question. That you know, it's you can't, I, I, you I can't haven't dated enjoy in like, yourself as much. I don't know. I haven't dated in eight years. There's parts like I'm sure there's parts of it that would be super fun, and then right. there's parts of it that would be just terrifying. because
1: like you, maybe you can like telegraph all of the moves that your date is going to make <laughs> right. or the conversations or whatever, anyway. So I, I never had, and sidebar. So i
0: never had. Do you play man to man or do you play zone? <laughs> I, well, well, I'm more uh, of a zone guy.
1: Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. But the, so my, on my dating profile, I, I don't remember exactly what the actual word, you know, what the actual content of. Yeah. The, right. Uh, no, I don't remember everything. But one thing I did was at the time of my dating profile, Paramore support local music, Franklin, Tennessee. Yep. Paramore came out with their. At the time, their latest album, After Laughter, I believe it was called, is called. And there is a song on the album called Rose-Colored Boy. And the hook for the song is it, it's like low-key, no pressure, just hang with me in my weather. Which seems like a kind of, you know, funny thing to say on a dating
0: profile. Like, you so know, you, let's keep so you, it casual. So the writer lifted and plagiarized I local plagiarize. artists. I plagiarize.
1: <laughs> I, I borrowed. okay, fair. I never I never sampled. I never you sampled. Sampled. I ne- sampled exactly. Yeah. I never claimed it was my own. That was a line on my dating profile. and <laughs> and um, so I knew that Bridget was going to get she had a tattoo on her arm previously that she wanted to get covered up. and she told me she was gonna get covered up. I have a, one of those with a flower. The the rose colored boy callback was a surprise. I didn't
0: know that that's was happening. Nice. That's nice. So it was cool. very sweet. Yeah, very sweet. Um, she, so she you better had, not do anything to screw it up. now. No. no.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's that's where the tattoo came from.
0: So what was the first line that that she because obviously she has to approach you on this particular app. What was the, what was we, the first line and what did you say to her first? I, you
1: know what? That might be a question that's better for her. I don't exactly remember the conversation. The one thing that she will always bring up is this, Bridget. Is current, she's she is a she's a social worker. She works for the Metro Health Department, but you know hands out citations for not wearing masks. Not not yet, at least. But <laughs> it's her but dream job. um, but you know she worked in the community relations department. She's from Michigan, so she worked in the community relations departments for several of the Detroit sports teams. Um, she worked in the Red Wings community Excuse me, the uh, community relations department. So she was you know the person who helped. Uh, You know, she helped set up all of the the community outreach that the Red Wings players did. So she told me that she had, you know, she worked in hockey when I told her that I was a journalist covering the Predators. And I.
0: So not first communication, but within the first few communications. And
1: I and she as she recalls, I was fairly dismissive of that. (laughs) <laughs> like, but I but I don't remember being dismissive of that. I will say this, which is funny
0: the the husband and the wife's perception of past events is sometimes very different. Well,
1: here's the ultimate perception. Just, just for so the I so I res so we we were supposed to, our our first date happened a, a week later than it was originally supposed to. As she tells it, I canceled our first date. As I tell it, I Ooh. postponed or rescheduled because cancellation to me means you don't do it and you never right. reschedule to postpone or reschedule means it's okay, very different. Yes. So we eventually did go out. So, uh, you know, so I said we post, I postponed the date versus reschedule. Versus oh, oh,
0: I've, th- there's no question. I've got that one too. I've got one of those where like my wife went on a, this was like five months after I thought we had started dating and she's like on a date with someone else to go to TPAC to go see Lion King. And she claims it was just to go see Lion King and i and i of course always i'm like no 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 you dated other people and she refuses to acknowledge that that's true it's she's probably right but why 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 not hold on to that right. for the rest of our marriage so I mean,
1: actually <laughs> i mean it worked out well because i'm not exactly sure what we would have ended up doing on our originally scheduled first date but on our se- on our second first date on our rescheduled first date <laughs> we ended up going to Ascend Amphitheater to see Dashboard Confessional. Nice. Um, so that. God, also, what's a concert like? Man, back. I mean, it, I mean, it, it, it's funny to think about that. Just even three years ago, you know, like we went to Ascend. You know, I bought. You know, I bought lawn tickets. You know, we had a little. You know, we had a picnic blanket. We listened. It's good first date, man. To, yeah, I mean, it, it ended up working out well. Um, <laughs> she, obviously, um, and our tattoos and of our processional song on our wedding was dashboard confessional. So it ties into it as well. Um, There you
0: go. All right, enough of this. We are done. Uh, That is your coaching PhD for John Hines and the Nashville Predators coaching staff. We have no more to add to this. Excellent conversation, Uh, Adam. Always a pleasure. Go to The Athletic. And subscribe and pay for good journalism. You know, it's a cup of coffee a month, and you're going to get fantastic coverage. And you can pick and choose all the teams across the leagues of all the different sports. It's fantastic. Uh, Check it out, as well as all the other podcasts, of course, from the 440 Sports Network. As Adam, of course, is an avid listener of Lamestream Sports, which comes out on Friday. We've got The Fringe Element, of course, that comes out on Wednesday and the 440 every single morning. So check out all of that good stuff. You can follow him at Adam Bingen on Twitter. You can follow me at Braden Gall. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please rate, review, and subscribe and share and tell all of your friends. That's how we grow this thing. This has been the Gold Standard on the 440 Sports Network.